Well, uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday. You guys aware of that? Yeah, how, how many Kansas City Chiefs fans out here? Okay, we got some applause. Got some enthusiastic supporters. How many Buccaneers fans? Yeah, I figured that. Just a couple of you. Actually, more of you, but you're just not loud. <laughs> how many are just flat out indifferent? Yeah, most of us. Right on. Right on. And uh, the impeachment trial begins this week. You guys kind of conscious of that as well? Yeah. Uh, groans heard across the auditorium. You know, uh, things have changed kind of rapidly, haven't they, in the last few weeks? And uh, there's a lot of people that are experiencing a lot of fear uh, today. And um, two weeks from today, we will begin a new series that we're titling Fear, Faith, and the Future. And uh, we're going to be talking about some things that are going on in our world and in our country that are uh, that are causing fear. And we're going to talk about what it means by faith to respond to those fears and, uh, and how we as a Christian community uh, can prepare for um, what may, times that may get harder and, uh, and how we can be uh, for each other and for the Lord, the people that, that we need to be. So I hope that you'll be here for, that's going to be a six-week series. going to take us right up to Easter. And I hope that you'll be here for all of those. Well, let's, uh, let's bow. No, we already did that, didn't we? How quickly he forgets. Can never pray too much. Thank you. That's to help me recover. Thank you. That's good. Well, we've been learning, haven't we, that uh, when it comes to what the Bible has to say about our money and our material possessions, uh, it's not all about what God wants from us, but it's really what God wants for us. Things like freedom and contentment and peace and joy and financial stability, even financial significance, as we talked about earlier. And that is the uh, the necessary view as we come to to really studying what the Bible has to say about our money. And sometimes when we talk about money, people get very, very uncomfortable. And uh, what we need to realize is that uh, God wants to bless us. And uh, and that will come from uh, doing, uh, handling our money and our stuff the way that, that he has directed us to do. Uh, during the series, we've been giving away to each family that wants one a, a copy of The Treasure Principle, a book by Randy Alcorn uh, that's one of the best volumes available, I think, on what the Bible teaches about managing God's money. And the, the great thing about it is that it's short <laughs> and it's very readable. And so uh, I think we have some left. Uh, if we run out, I'm happy to order some more. So uh, if you don't have one of those yet, be sure on your way out today to, to grab one. And if you're watching online, uh, you can request a copy by emailing us at info at lpcoly, L-P-C-O-L-Y dot com, info at L-P-C-O-L-Y dot com, letting us know that you'd, you'd like one and we'll be happy to make one available. There's another book that I would recommend to you. We're not giving this one away, but I would recommend it to you. It's written by Andy Stanley, um, North Point Community Church in Georgia. Uh, it's titled Fields of Gold and uh, highly recommend that book. Well, this is the uh, the next to last message in this series, and we'll wrap it up next week. 
And just quickly by way of review, if you haven't been here, if you're just tuning in, uh, the focus of week one, which was titled Good to Great, was that God wants us to move from financial survival, which we would define as living from hand to mouth, to financial stability, which we would define as having enough and then having a margin, actually beginning to have some investments so that you have a cushion, and then uh, and then and then on to financial significance, uh, in which you're able to invest and you're able to share very generously, and the pursuit of the the good life we saw that we think we want is is really the enemy of the great life that God desires and intends for us. Generosity, we saw, is the cure for greed, and it's also the key that unlocks the door to financial freedom. And then in week two, uh, which was titled The Treasure Trail, we, we saw that whether we'll admit it or not, stuff, meaning material possessions and money, stuff has a, a hold on our hearts. And if you want to know where your heart really is, follow the treasure trail, which is basically your checkbook and your credit card statement. Where's where's the money going? That's the treasure trail. And if I find that my heart isn't where it where it where I know God would have it be, and if I want to redirect my heart, uh, I if I will first redirect my treasure, then my heart will follow. And so there's a, a deliberateness about that mid-course correction in our lives. Um, in fact, where your heart goes, your whole life goes. And that's the message, right? So we introduced the idea of giving that's, that's prioritized and percentage and progressive. We're going to revisit that a little bit today. And then uh, the third week, which was last week, we titled Enough. And we saw that godliness with contentment is great gain. Con- contentment isn't a function of our of our financial bottom line but rather contentment is a condition of our hearts. And it begins, contentment does, with a, with a heart response to the generous heart of God. Uh, genuine contentment is, is one of the greatest expressions of worship we can possibly offer to God because he is most glorified in us, as John Piper says, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And again, we saw that generosity uh, is the key not only to financial freedom, but also to contentment, and that the desire to get rich is the enemy of generosity, and it can be spiritually lethal. Well, today, one more thing to think about, uh, should you choose to apply it, um, and I think it will free you up. One more question that, if you get it right, will bring new freedom in your life. And I'm going to press you a little harder today. Um, step on your toes a little bit, offend you, maybe. (laughs) It's my responsibility as your pastor, right, to offend you. Um, Somebody said that the the responsibility of a pastor is to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. And uh, so uh, this is the halftime speech, so so let's go, guys. Let's, Let's do better in the second half. Here's the question. Why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? You might answer, well, I don't feel like I have so much. Uh, the guy down the street has a lot. He has, he has a car, a house, a pool, a country club membership. Uh, you want to talk about having so much? Let, let's talk about that guy. That guy has a lot. And I don't have anywhere near as much as that guy and his family. 
you know, I would say, okay, okay. And yet, consider for a moment that, see, I already offended somebody. It's tough. Early perception there. Consider for a moment the 50% of the world, and we saw this a few weeks ago, 50% of the world makes $850, that's 850 not $850,000, $850 a year or less. That, that's half the world's population. Why do we have so much? Remember that 75% of the world's population makes $1,500 a year or less. And some of you have pushed back against the approach of, uh, of setting uh, our local income against the backdrop of the world economy. Uh, every one of us wants to say, I'm not rich. Right? And here's my response. If you don't think you're rich, you've never experienced the kind of poverty that much of the rest of the world knows. You're focused on what you don't have. And that's usually the product of not taking enough time to thoughtfully count your blessings. I will acknowledge that personal income scales, doesn't it, to the local economy. That's a fact. But the larger question remains, why do we have so much? Most of us didn't choose to come to America. We were born here. Economically, we hit the jackpot. But it wasn't even a matter of chance. It was God who determined where and when you and I would be born and where we would live out our lives. By his sovereign choosing, most of us here this morning were, were born in the wealthiest nation in history. Why do we have so much? And a lot of us think we have so much because we Americans are just so good. You know, God blesses America, right? The, the American people are God's people, aren't we? We're just naturally better at following God than the rest of the world. How many of you actually believe that? Some of us think we have more than everyone else because we're just harder workers than the rest of the world. There's no doubt that, that many Americans, many of us sitting here, work, work, work very hard. But do you think there are hard workers among those who make $1,500 or less annually? Others are, are very practical. They'll say, uh, we have so much and should hang on to it because we might need it for the future. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with careful planning for future needs. But what about the futures of those who make $1,500 a year or less? Why do you think it is that they don't have as much as you and I have? You know, last night my wife made chocolate chip cookies. Anybody here that likes chocolate chip cookies? Most of us, right? Kamara, do you like chocolate chip cookies? You do. Would you come on up? So I got chocolate chip cookies. You really do like chocolate chip cookies? 
I see you don't have any chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you don't. I should do something for Kamara here, don't you think? Well, I'm concerned for you because you don't have any chocolate chip cookies. So I'm going to do something for you. I am. Those are really good, by the way. Man. New recipe my wife tried. It turned out good. I'm going to try it. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> that God gives you some chocolate chip cookies. So let's just bow together, Hank. Father, I just pray that you would meet Kamara at her point of need. And that you, Lord, would send someone into her life to give her some chocolate chip cookies. Amen. Well, let me know when God answers your prayer because it'll be a real blessing to me. All right? Okay, you can sit back now. <laughs> now, when you were a child and, and, and you had two of something and, and your brother or sister or a friend had none, I mean, your mom would stare you down, right? And she'd say one word. What was that word? Share. Right. Okay, so do you think I should share my chocolate chip cookies with Kamara? Yeah? Okay, let's hear it for Kamara, all right? So, Kamara, come back up here. Not only do I have chocolate chip cookies for you, but here's a, a half gallon of milk and some cups so you can share... God's answer to my prayer. There you go. But you have to share. All right. Now, we knew this as kids, didn't we? I better close that. We knew that uh, sharing was the right thing to do. We grew up knowing that, that when we had more than we actually needed, we were to share. And it only makes sense. Everything we really need to know, we learned in kindergarten, right? And the reason that, that we've been given so much, here's the answer to the question. The reason that we've been given so much is that so that we can share with others who are in need. And here's what the Bible says. And this is the big takeaway for today's message. I've been given much, not primarily to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. See, and that's a, that's a kingdom principle that the world does not fully understand. The question is, do we understand it? Have we really taken that truth to our heart? In Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus said, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much shall be required. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 said, What do you have that you did not receive? That's a good question, isn't it? What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? As if it came from you. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, Freely you have received, freely give. You see, a fundamental principle we need to understand is that God is the owner. God is the owner. And the identity we need to embrace is that we are his stewards. We are his money managers. Let me ask you a question. This is a little trivia test this morning. What what percentage do you think the average American gives to charitable causes, including their churches? Anybody? Just an idea? Say it again. Three and a half? Anybody else? Two here. We have a two. Five. The answer is 2.8%. That's the average American. So let me ask you another question. What percentage do you think the average American Christian gives to charitable causes, including their churches? Because Christians are more generous than others, right? Here's the answer. American Christians give 2.8%. See, there's, there's no difference between the percentages given by Christians and those given by the society in general. And bottom line, we Christians are on average no different from the world around us in the level of our giving. Why do I have so much? So here's an interesting question. How, many, how much would you guess American Christians gave during a major economic turndown like the Great Depression? Well, during the Great Depression, on average, American Christians gave just 3.3%. Still not a tithe, right? I mean, what percentage is a tithe? 10% is a tithe. So it wasn't a tithe, tithe but in the middle of what was certainly a much more difficult time economically than we're facing today. They gave more then than we give today in a time of comparatively heightened prosperity. Well, what percentage do you think the average person at LifePoint gives? The answer is I don't know. Because I don't know what any of you give. What I know is that you as a congregation have been incredibly faithful over the last couple of years. Three, last three years have been, you've been above average in your giving habits. But here's something else I know. If more of us were giving at a level even closer than we are to a tithe, the impact we could have for the kingdom of God in this community and in our world would be huge. I didn't mean to step on toes by saying that. Well, actually, maybe I did. I know that I stepped on my own because it's a challenge, isn't it? Remember, God has given us so much not simply to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And we need to be challenged to get out of the rut, every one of us, including me. We need to be challenged to get out of the rut that we're in. Because if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Right? That's axiomatic in life. Change has to happen, and it has to begin in our hearts. And that's 
what today's scripture is all about. Let's stand and read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11 together. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is his word. You may be seated. Well, look with me again at verse 6. And let's call this the harvest principle. That's the title of today's message, the harvest principle. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The harvest principle has three dimensions. Notice that you reap, first of all, what you sow. You reap what you sow. If you sow grass seed, what's going to come up? If you sow carrot seed, what's going to come up? If you sow lettuce seed, what's going to come up? If you sow bird seed, what's going to come up? Gotcha. Get you into a rhythm, I think. So you reap what you sow. Secondly, you reap later than you sow. (laughs) You reap later than you sow. There, there's an element of delayed gratification in gardening and in farming. And let's call it hopeful anticipation, right? Hopeful anticipation. Remember planting a bean seed in a styrofoam cup in kindergarten? Some of you do that? And uh, you waited and you waited and you and uh, you got a little impatient because you were little and impatient. <clears throat> and you stuck your finger in there to see what was going on, right? Some of you do that? I did. You reap later than you sow. There's, there's, a, there's a hopeful anticipation that's involved in the whole deal. Third, you reap more than you sow. You reap more than you sow. You plant a watermelon seed, and you, even if you only get one watermelon, you're still going to get a gazillion seeds in that one watermelon. Same thing with wheat and other things that, So as you're giving, the harvest principle says, as you're giving, you have to think like a farmer. Imagine if farmers thought this way. Well, I have a lot of seed in my barn, uh, and and it's time to plant, but I I don't know if I want to go out and sow all of it, because if I do sow all of it, I'm afraid I won't have have it anymore, and I might not have enough for myself. Farmers don't usually think that way, but let's just imagine that for a moment. What would happen? First of all, we'd all be carnivores, right? Uh, vegetarians would starve to death. Second, it's it's likely that the seed would just rot in the barn and become food for mice. And, and third, the farmer would 
finally starved to death while the mice got fat on what the farmer was unwilling to sow. So what does he do instead? He sows generously so that he can grow abundant crops, so that he can reap a greater harvest and feed more people, including himself and his own family. He has to think this way, that what he receives in return will be directly proportional and most often out of proportion to what he sows. And the same is true in the Christian life. The more you give, financial or otherwise, the the more ministry will happen, the more lives will be changed, the more people will come to faith in Christ, and the greater impact overall you will have. Your spiritual harvest will be directly proportional to your investment of your time and your talent and your treasure. You know, occasionally someone will come to me and ask me, well, how how much should I give, Pastor? (laughs) It's always an awkward moment. How much should I give, Pastor? Well, in verse 7, Paul provides a precise answer. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, you're tempted in that moment to say, well, hey, give 25% of your income. That, that, that'd be about right. <laughs> Wrong. You know, so maybe you're hoping for a more exact dollar figure. Paul doesn't offer any calculations based on your gross or on your net. He simply says, give what you've decided in your heart to give. It's a heart issue. There, there's no hint of pressure. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He leaves that to us. The choice is ours. But notice that there are some other questions hiding behind both verses 6 and 7. For example, a hidden question behind verse 6 is, how great a harvest do you want God to produce through you? It's an important question. You can sow sparingly or you can sow generously. And that choice is yours. But here's the hard bottom line. Don't expect to sow sparingly and reap an abundant harvest. There are a couple questions lurking behind verse 7, I think, too. For example, where is your heart? And uh, when you give, do you give cheerfully? See, the heart of God is blessed when we give cheerfully and when we give willingly. And again, the choice is ours, but make no mistake, the choice reveals the posture, the condition of your heart in relationship to God. And some of us will say, well, cool, there's my out. Thank you very much. That's why I don't give. God loves a cheerful giver, and I'm not cheerful. I'm grumpy. I'm just not cheerful. Grumpy old man. I'm grumpy about my money, and God knows my heart isn't in it, so he doesn't want me to give. Thank you. See you later. And to those people, God says, that's fine. That's fine. Just keep it. 
someone else will receive the blessing that could have been yours. Why does he say that? Because he knows your heart. God knows that if you're giving reluctantly instead of eagerly, you're still thinking like an owner and not like a steward, not like a financial manager. And rather than asking for your money and allowing you to miss the whole point, he says, I'll wait until you've grown in your spiritual understanding to the point where you understand that I'm owner and I'm the giver and you're my steward, you are my money manager. Because see, at that point in our lives, it's a question of ownership. It's a question of authority. It's a question of mastery. So move your heart toward the idea that your harvest will be directly proportional to the amount you give. And when I talk about harvest, I'm not just talking about external effect. I'm talking about internal effect. If you give generously, you will reap generously. God will be glorified. Others will be blessed through you. And lots of ministry will happen. You will reap what you sow. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. Paul goes on in the coming verses to give a series of promises. Notice verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Notice that first phrase, God is able God is able. How many of you believe that God can change your heart? What about your spouse's heart? Less of you, actually. (laughs) What about your neighbor's heart? Your boss's heart? See, God God is able to do anything. Nothing is ever impossible with him. All things are possible with God. Notice, too, that God is about the all. Notice the repeated uh, use of the word all. All grace. All sufficiency. At all times. Every good work. God's about the all. And God takes care of givers. So you and I have nothing to be afraid of. I wonder if you've ever known a generous person who on their deathbed looked back and said, man, what I regret most is having given so much, having been so generous. You've never heard a generous person say that on their deathbed because there is no truly generous person who has ever said that. Again, verse 10, he who supplies seed, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will will, not might, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Who supplies the seed? God does. Who takes the risk to sow generously and then has to wait in faith? We do, right? Who causes the growth? God. Who gives bread for food? God, 
Give us this day our daily bread. Who's in charge of the bread? God. Listen, God is in the details of the farmer's life, and he is in every detail of your financial picture and every detail of your spiritual life and harvest. Now notice what he says in verse 11. You will, not might, again, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's a promise here. Notice the promise. You will be enriched in every way. How many ways is that? It's a lot of ways. That's every way. You'll be enriched in every way. John said of Jesus, from, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And Paul encouraged the Philippians, my God will supply every, every, every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now observe the the purpose behind the promise. He says, so that you will be generous in every way on every occasion. We have much, not simply to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. How many times have you been in a situation where you have been unable to be generous when you wanted to be? Because you're financially upside down and because you've turned God's blessings into burdens. See, if, you get, if, if we get this right, if we get the priorities in place, if we get the right order to our finances, then we'll be able to give on every occasion. And third, there's a product. Promise, purpose, and then product. Your generosity will produce the harvest of thanksgiving to God. Let me ask you, who's been given occasion? Who has been given occasion to thank God because you have been a cheerful, generous giver? And are you giving anyone the opportunity of doing that? Let me bring this down to practical application. See, here's what I know. Preaching may not always change lives. Seminars and Sunday school classes may not always change lives. And there are many, many churches who have preached on this topic. They've done series on books like The Treasure Principle with with no meaningful outcome in terms of change. And still they give no more than 2.8% on average. Why? Because systems, not sermons, create behaviors. The ways you discipline yourself, the people you hang out with, the the patterns of your family life, even the, the system of your family of origin, all impact the choices you make in terms of your personal conduct. You can hear a word from God. You can experience a an intense desire to change, but but when you go back into your family system or back into your workplace or the world system or even just your own personal system of living, you find yourself overwhelmed with opposition from outside of yourself as well as from within yourself. We're talking about competing systems. 
Five sermons and a surge of emotion aren't going to get this done for us. You need to put a new system in place and then act on it. And here's the simple system that that we introduced earlier. It's easy to remember. It's called 3P giving. Giving that is prioritized, percentage, and progressive. And first, there's prioritized giving. As we saw previously, prioritized giving reflects the biblical principle of first fruits. The first thing that, that you do when you receive your checkbook or, or other income is, is to give to God and then to give to your savings account. And you say, well, they're greed. What do you think of that? Right? You have no control over me because I have a system in place. And it begins with prioritized giving. Second is percentage giving. And percentage giving begins with a fundamental choice to plan and track what you're giving. Percentage giving is also another way of saying planned giving. And it reflects the biblical principle of proportional giving. Giving that's in proportion to your income and proportional to the harvest you hope to reap. So we can't talk about the biblical principle of proportionality without talking about that thing the Bible calls the tithe. And why why the tithe? I don't know. God said it. Why the tithe? Here, here's what I do know. I know that if I give away 10% of my income, it's going to change me. It's going to have an impact. It's going to change my lifestyle. It's, I'm going to have to make some major adjustments. It puts me in position to trust God with the whole of my personal economy, with the whole of my life. By the way, God is not about the 10%. He's about the all, right? He's about the 100%. It's all his. We're just his money managers. But we give 10% because he's worthy of everything. We give give 10% as a way of acknowledging that it's all his to begin with. We give 10% as a way of saying saying thank you to him for all that he has blessed us with. And and we give 10% as a way of saying we want to partner with you, God, in what you're doing in the world. Some people might say, well, that's that's just too huge. I I can't believe anybody would ever do that. I mean, I'm I'm in the red. Well, again, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten, Right? It's all about progress. Ask God what you should give. Ask him. Put it between you and God. That's that's really where it ought to be. Ask him. See, the biblical standard is, is 10%, but consider the question of what would actually affect your lifestyle. In the average church, 40% of church attenders give nada, zip, zero. On average, 17% of American Christians say that they tithe, but only about 4% actually do. Does that mean Christians are liars? Maybe. See, we need to have a system in place. We have gone on record here at LifePoint to say that if you don't trust us, don't give here. Give give someplace else. It's not the biblical prescription, but just so so you know that it isn't about us trying to get into your pocket. Give somewhere else. 
where you're not loved and taught and instructed and encouraged. See, see, if you're if if you're going to break the grip of greed and fear on your life, and if you want God to produce a greater harvest through you, you're going to have to do something different. And I want you to know that we as pastors and elders here at LifePoint want to encourage you in this. John Ortberg tells the story of being at a dinner several years ago with a man who had a large ministry that works with churches to cultivate generosity and financial stewardship. And he asked him, what's the primary predictor of whether any particular church will be generous. And he figured he'd talk about what stewardship program they used or how often generosity was taught, but it was none of those. Here's what he said. The number one predictor of a generous church is whether or not it has a generous pastor. See, generosity and tithing starts right here. So Marcy and I do cheerfully tithe on both of our incomes. Our full tithe comes directly to LifePoint. Over and above our tithe, we contribute to things like Vision Next, Undie Sunday, Labor of Love, Boost, and other initiatives that we're engaged in as a church, and we support other ministries outside LifePoint as well. And And I don't say that to boast in any way, but only to say that we want to excel in the grace of giving alongside of all of you and never ask you to do anything that we ourselves are not doing. See, and I can and I can say with knowledge that Pastor Evan and Cindy are doing the same thing. So are Pastor Steve and Rosie, and so are our elders and their wives. So we want to model this for you because leaders go first. And because you ought to be able to follow the treasure trail in the lives of your leaders. The third P is progressive giving. Progressive giving. Give until it makes you uncomfortable. Increase the amount of your tithe as it becomes increasingly comfortable or as you come to the realization that that your tithe, which used to feel like a high ceiling, now feels much more like a floor. And and you need to be stretched in your generosity. And just so you know, and most of you already know this, but, but there are several ways that you can give here at LifePoint. There, you can give online at mylpclacy.com slash give. You can give in the offering box right back there on Sunday mornings. There's a digital giving kiosk through Square back there at the information center. There's a a church center app that's available on the App Store or Google Play, and uh, you, you just choose LifePoint Church. Uh, there's text to give. The number is 84321, and just choose LifePoint Church there as well. Uh, you can snail mail a check, right, to the church address uh, or Pony Express. And that's where you get in your Mustang or your Bronco or your old Pinto and drive to the church and drop off your check. There's also ACH automated with automatic withdrawal that you set up through your own bank. There, see, there's so many ways to give. But what could happen this year? What could happen in 2021 if every believer in America was to choose to tithe? Imagine that. Based on some recent estimates, if every American Christian tithed, an additional 165 
billion would be available for ministry and mission each year. Wow. For just $60 billion a, ne- uh, a, uh, a year for the next five years, the church in America could fund the entire world mission enterprise, could provide an education to every child on the planet, could provide clean water and sanitation and health care to those who are currently without. We could solve the hunger and preventable disease issue, and there would still be $105 billion per year left over for ministry and mission. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Well, what could happen this year if everyone at LifePoint chose to tithe? At LifePoint, if everyone tithes, gave 10% of their income, the first thing that would happen is that the pastors and elders would just pass out. and We'd, we'd have a health crisis. But here's at least three things. You could say, oh, oh you of little vision. But, but here's three things we could do in 2021. We could finalize the remodel of this building, then move on to the duplex and the portables. And if you've been in there, you know they're nasty. <laughs> And we could, we could remodel those and have those ready as classroom space for children and youth and adults. We could significantly reduce our indebtedness on, on all of this. We could launch new ministries and new outreach, outreach in this new community to help more and more people to find and to follow Jesus. So ask yourself, what kind of harvest might God produce through me if I increased the percentage of my giving. God has given you much, not to raise the standard of your living, but to raise your standard of giving. Your program this morning is this 90-day giving challenge, and this is for some of you. Some of you have, have taken this challenge already in the past. But here's what this says, and if you'll just pull that out. It says, trusting in God's faithfulness to his promises, I am choosing to increase my giving to God through LifePoint Church over the next 90 days to the percentage of my income indicated below. I'm taking LifePoint's leadership on their commitment to refund 100% of the amount I have given with no questions asked if at the end of the 90 days I have not experienced God's blessing, whether financial or otherwise. And so what you'll do there is you says, I'm committing to increase my giving to whatever percent it is of your income over the next 90 days. And this represents an increase of whatever that increase is from your present level of giving. And then you'll take this side piece, you'll fill that out, you'll drop it in the offering box or hand it to somebody on your way out. Take this one, take it home, keep it, put it somewhere prominently so that you'll remember the commitment that you made. And, and, And that promise is good. And it's not to extract money from you. It's to say, we're asking you to, to to choose a new system in your life and just to see how God will bless you, how God will bless others through you, see what kind of harvest you might reap in the days to come. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness to us. Lord, you have blessed us with so, so much. And we thank you for that blessing. But, Lord, we also know that with that, with that great blessing also comes great responsibility that you expect of us more than you expect of those who have less. And so, 
And we pray that we would be found faithful. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.